we live in kind of a, a crazy time. I'm sure you guys can all agree to some extent that your life has been a little bit crazier than you remember it being, you know, just even a few years ago. Did you, I was looking up statistics of just the world and different things, and did you know that globally, more people have access to a cell phone than to a regular toilet? Like, this, this, this is what matters to our world, right? Did you know that the Cowboys football stadium uses more electricity than the whole country of Liberia? Right? I mean, I don't think the electricity helps them, but it's there, um, you know? So, uh, I just kidding. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but while I found these statistics pretty interesting, yeah, <laughs> there is, uh, the world is actually quite a mess, you know? Do you know that one-third of Africa still lacks clean water? And do you know that there are multiple people on the earth that have enough money to fix all of that on their own? Do you know that if Americans just for one year gave up buying Christmas gifts and donated all that money to one source, they could solve clean water for the entire world? One Christmas that we spend enough money that people could live. Roughly 800 million people or one in nine people in the entire world are suffering from chronic undernourishment. Every year, hunger kills more people than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. Every 10 seconds, a child dies due to hunger-related disease. On top of all that, we have wars happening everywhere. Ukraine and Russia only being part of the terror that many countries are under. You know, and, and Jesus warned us of these things, you know, in Scripture that as life goes on, there'll be more famine, there'll be more wars, there'll be more things. And, and it wasn't to, to scare us to coming to him, it was just a truth. And we're experiencing that today, even with more technology, even with better health care, even with more money and more resources than we've ever had on the entire earth, things are still getting worse. And sometimes it's kind of easy to sit back as Americans and feel comfortable because at least most of those things aren't happening here, right? But, but that's not really true either. According to the 2020 census, over 37 million people in the U.S. live in poverty. Food insecurity and hunger are economic issues right here in our country. Over a half a million people in the U.S. are homeless. Wealth distribution in the U.S. is only getting worse. On average, the American household has over $35,000 in debt, and that doesn't include houses. Right? We've become slaves to our jobs and to our money. The U.S. has the largest prison population in the entire world. We have more people in prison than a lot of countries around the world have in their entire country. Right? And this isn't because we have a big country. Per capita, by far, we still have more than any other country in the world. Do you know that if a person can't afford bail, they have to remain in prison until they're sentenced? And even if they're ultimately acquitted and, you know, said like, hey, it wasn't your fault and let go. This essentially means that because everyone is innocent and to proven guilty, that the U.S. at any given time has more than 460,000 innocent people in prison right now. Our healthcare system in the U.S. accounts for the majority of people's bankruptcies in the U.S. Because of that, it's leading people to skip getting medical care, leading our country to actually fall way, way, way below many other countries um, to health quality and things compared to anything else. The well-being of our children in America is declining. 
the safety, their health, their education, their opportunities. America is the highest it's ever been in suicide rates, depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses, and addictions are thriving on top of that. Our freedom, our access to things that we believe every human deserves is being denied or has been placed out of reach of many people in America, and it's only trending worse. Now, I'm not here to put any, you know, political blame on any side of any of the situations happening around here because it's not something that is their fault. This is the direction that humankind goes towards without Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. I thought Easter was about hope, and this pastor is just depressing. You know, and uh, it is about hope, but you can't have hope without understanding where there is no hope. Right? You know, it's the same thing. You would never understand light if you've never seen darkness. You would never understand joy or happiness if you've never felt sorrow and, and felt grief and loss. And in that same way today, I want to show you that there is hope. But we need to look a little bit at our situation to understand why we need it. Because our world is in desperate need of hope. And so stick with me today because there is a king on the throne that gives hope. You know, in this, this world, like I said, and kind of established, it's a mess. The things going on all over, these are unprecedented times. You got, is anybody else tired of hearing the word unprecedented? I don't think I'd ever heard it before in my life. And then since like 2020, it's like a daily, if not more, word just because it's like another unprecedented thing. It's one of my favorite memes is just like, I'm just hoping for a day when nothing unprecedented happens, you know? And like, yes, amen. Like that is my prayers every morning. But did you know that this isn't the first time in, in world history that the world's been in turmoil? Even at the time of Jesus walking on earth, the world around Jesus was in turmoil. Many people, even the religious people, could not embrace Jesus as this Messiah, as the promised king, because there was so much stuff going on that they believed that, there had, that, that this king was going to come and fix everything through the government. Because there was tense issues there as well. To understand this a little bit better, we're going to get a short history lesson. There will not be a test, okay? So don't, don't feel like you need to memorize these names or these facts or anything, but we need to establish them because you need to know what the world looked like when Jesus was born into the same world that we live in today. In Matthew 2, 1 through 2, we find Jesus' birth. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Got to think, remember King Herod, not for the test, but because you need to know. But about that time, some wise men, right, from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We star, we, we star, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. All right, these, these wise men studied all of these ancient history um, prophecies of the Old Testament and knew this new king was supposed to come There'd be the star over Bethlehem. We know the Christmas story, most likely. You've heard a lot of it. But King Herod was king at that time. When these wise men came to visit Jesus, the new king of the Jews, because of these prophecies, things like Micah 5.2 that says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people of Israel. And so they knew that, this new king that's supposed to come and set everything right was going to come from Bethlehem. And so these wise men were coming to find him. But the wise men weren't the only people awaiting this new king. All of the Jews were. They all knew these prophecies and they all knew these promises that, that there was a person coming, this Messiah, that was going to come and set everything right. Now, King Herod, as we talked about, he was the king at the time and he was a really cunning politician. 
right? He craftily navigated the great Roman civil war between Mark Antony and Octavius, or the future Augustus Caesar. And because of how well he handled that, he managed to gain his appointment as king of Judea in 37 BC, you know, 37 years roughly um, before Jesus-ish time. Now, this was a really difficult position that King Herod was in because the king of Judea was subject both to the Roman emperor. He had to follow Roman rules and and please that um, emperor, but he also had to serve the interests of the Jewish people who had their own version of hierarchy and believed God was their king. No person could be king. So when, you know, the wise men showed up and said, I'm here to, to worship the new king of the Jews, Herod's like, what? No, I'm the king of the Jews. What new king of the Jews are you talking about? Like, I am king, you know, and, and this doesn't make any sense. How could there be this new king? And so Herod, though, also knew that he was not this Messiah. He knew the promises. He knew these people were looking for somebody to fix everything. You know, and that caused him probably some stress, right? You ever felt the stress of somebody who's like, you're going to take care of all my problems for me. And you're like, I, I can barely take care of my own, you know? And, and so Herod felt all this stress, and now there's this new king, that means that I can't be king. So he tried to kill baby Jesus. Uh, spoiler alert, Jesus survived um, <laughs> that time, okay? But so after Herod died, right? So he, he did his best. He, he tried all those things. Herod died. Jesus and his family actually fled from the country to not get killed. And, he, and they come back because Herod's son, um, Archelaus, took over. Now, Archelaus was not as... I guess as wise as King Herod was, and he was not able to handle the tension between Rome and the Jews. And there was an uprising by the Jews. And when Roman forces came in, they destroyed a city in Galilee not far from Nazareth, and they executed 2,000 Jews by crucifixion. Right? Jesus was not the first person crucified, not the first Jew, not any of that sort. This was a common thing that they did to Jews, especially that they didn't agree with. And that were causing problems and, and causing all of this stuff. And 2,000 Jews were crucified that day. Now, again, there's no test, so don't need to feel to memorize these things. But I want you to see that there was political unrest at the same time of Jesus being there between Jews and Romans and the world that they lived in. On top of all the political unrest, there was religious unrest. Among the Jews, there were four groups like, of their, they were divided into, and they didn't get along. You had the zealots. And this is where Simon Peter, if you read it in the Bible, says Simon Peter, the zealot, he came from this group. These people were passionate military activists. That's why Peter sliced off the guy's ear in the garden was because he was a military activist. Like He wanted to take things by force. He was probably some part in that um, uprising that happened. Those were done by the zealots. Then there were the Essenes. And these people withdrew from culture. They felt like we're not supposed to have any part of that. They moved out to the deserts and they became like kind of Christian monks. And people didn't agree with them because they weren't doing anything they felt like. And they didn't agree with everybody else because they felt like you don't need to do anything. We just need to pray and get to know Jesus. And then there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you probably have heard of them. Um, they play a large part in the New Testament. See, the Sadducees were sad, you see. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But... Um, they were, they were actually mostly from the Jewish aristocrats. They were favored by the Romans because they did practical cooperation because they were used to, you know, having authority. They were used to money. They were used to knowing how to handle things at a higher level. So they had a good relationship with the Romans. Um, they were religiously more skeptical. 
they didn't believe things such as future resurrection or life after death. They thought people made those things up. But they still believed in God and that there was some sort of Messiah coming. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they, they just weren't fair, you see. I'm just kidding. Don't, no, man. Um, we just uh, sat Friday night, we went to Ohana's, you know, and they make all those horrible jokes the whole time they're kicking for you, and they're just stuck in my head. Um, all right, so I haven't got the cooking side down, but I can preach and do it, you know. Uh, but the Pharisees, on the other hand, they embraced resurrection and afterlife. And they were a sect, they were a group out of the common man. They strived to apply their Jewish faith to every aspect of their life in a world that was assaulted by foreign influences. That feels kind of like today, doesn't it? Political unrest, different versions of Christianity, and and we can't get along from church to church and city to city. We're just out here trying to apply our faith, and the world seems to not want us to in every turn and, and twist that we make. And although Jesus, at times, he broke bread with rich and powerful people in the Jewish society, he lived and he ministered most often among the common people, also among the poor and the downtrodden. And among those common people, then, the group that he most often encountered was the Pharisees. And he was challenged by them. They kept questioning him. He questioned them and all sorts of things because they kept butting heads about what does it look like to to take over this kingdom for, for God? But it wasn't the Pharisees alone who orchestrated Jesus' arrest and his death that happened Good Friday, right? But rather the Pharisees with the aid of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the temple class. They ruled. They, they were, you know, in charge of things. So when it came time to arrest Jesus, they sent the temple guards who had authority by the chief priests or the Sadducees to carry out these orders. And the Sadducees certainly had their religious motivations for condemning Jesus, just as the Pharisees did. But there was another factor involved as well. The Sadducees enjoyed their authority, but they only had their authority at the hands of the Roman authorities. And when it came clear to them that this Jesus of Nazareth was beginning to stir up lower classes and cause an uproar in an already dangerous and unstable region, they decided it was better to have this man removed than to see the whole nation in another bloody war, like the one that ended so terribly just like in the early years of Jesus' life. So we come to the book of John, chapter 11, and we can hear what was decided, verses 47 through 52. It says, then the leading priests and the Pharisees, in other words, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. See, they're concerned for their things. And Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Verse 51 is one of my favorite verses. It says, he did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Now, I think these things need to be understood to really see the impact of Jesus' message and why it stirred controversy and why it matters to us today. The Jews, in the midst of all their political unrest and the threat of the Roman government always wanting to take control at any moment, it led them to desire this Messiah, this king that they believed was going to come, and this new king would come and free them from all this unrest. Because they knew this prophecy in Isaiah. Chapter 9, verse 6 said, For a child is born to us, 
A son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Right? They wanted this king to come and take over the government and return their land to a place of peace. See, that's the hope that's found in Jesus. But in the same way that Jesus did not come into the world that they wanted, with a new ruler coming in like King David to come and overthrow the Roman Empire with great military feats and establish a strong physical kingdom. In that same way, Jesus is not entering the world to take over our government that we know and see today. Right? He's not going to come fix America by some military takeover or some great campaign and install a new president. Right? That, that they can then begin to fix things around the world. Jesus isn't showing up to solve world hunger or poverty or inequality or wars in that way. Because Jesus has already shown up. Right? Jesus is already on a throne. The king is on the throne. Right? And that's what we celebrate on Easter. Despite his betrayal by his own people. And in the words of the high priest, it's better for you. That one man, Jesus would die for people than for a whole nation to be destroyed. We celebrate the goodness that is Jesus' sacrifice of his life on Good Friday and his resurrection that happened on Easter today. That his defeating of death gave him power over it. And beyond that, he ascended to heaven to sit on the throne of the kingdom he came to establish. Matthew 26, says, Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand. And coming on the clouds of heaven. The disciples witnessed this in Acts 2, 32-33. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and hear today. But how does this fix the world we're in? How does that give me hope when the world around me is still so broken and hurting? It's because Jesus did not, and he is still not coming to take over a physical kingdom. He implemented his own kingdom. This is all Jesus preached about in the New Testament. Matthew 4, 17. It's the start of his preaching career. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus talked about his coming kingdom over 110 times in the Gospels. That's twice as much as he mentioned anything that could be referenced to hell. He often invited people into the kingdom. He shared with them how to enter, how his kingdom will work. When he was talking through his parables, many most of them were about kingdom truths and for us to understand how the kingdom was going to, going to work. Um, he, he displayed miracles. And why he did that was to show that the power of his kingdom trumps the power of our world. Because when miracles happen, they defy the normal rules that we live by every day, right? When the kingdom encounters the earth, a couple loaves of bread and a few fish feed more than 5,000 people, right? When the kingdom does not encounter earth, couple loaves of bread and some fish feed half of me, okay? And these, these rules are this, the basics. Like, these are things that we understand. But somehow, when the kingdom of heaven encounters things, his rules trump the rules of our earth. Jesus taught us to pray the kingdom into our everyday lives. 
And before Jesus was crucified, he declared that he was king of this kingdom. John 18, 33 through 37 says, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. This is after he's been arrested in the garden just before they did choose to crucify him. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king? Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So why does this kingdom of heaven bring us hope? This is the same question asked by Jesus' disciples after he already rose from dead, but before he ascended to heaven in Acts 1, verse 6. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They had spent three years with Jesus, following him, listening to him, hearing his teaching. They watched him get crucified. They saw him rise back, you know, visited them. He's been preaching to them, walking with them. And they're still like, so when's this military takeover happening, right? Jesus, like, you're here, you're, you're all powerful, you got holes in your hands, that's cool, you know? And, and they're like, what's happening? What's going on? And he's like, it, that, it's not the time, right? They were wanting a king to come in and fix things politically. And I know that's the desire of many Christians in the world. Right, and especially America in general, is that we could have a government that can fix all the things we have going on. Right, and I believe just as the religious did at that time, they were crying out for some fix, that God is still not going to send some political figure or a literal king or a literal president because he already sent a whole new kingdom. God is not concerned with fixing political structures on earth. He cares about it, I'm, I'm sure of that. But don't, so don't get me wrong there, but his number one goal is to bring people into his kingdom. His kingdom is perfect. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And we are all invited to join it today at any time. And this gives us hope because Jesus is the perfect king. He is, his kingdom is perfect. We don't have to worry about him like we have to worry about the president and what they're going to do of any sort or any other ruler or what's going on because Jesus is perfect. His kingdom brings real freedom. Freedom from all limits, it breaks chains, it heals, it doesn't follow earthly rules because miracles happen in his kingdom. Jesus empowers his people. He does not take away their power. No other king laid down his life for every single one of their citizens individually. His rules bring life to all that follow them and beyond them to those around them. His kingdom is not about saving himself. It's about saving the rest of the world. There are no worries about the selfish gain of our leader. He cares and he knows each person individually and generally wants each person to succeed in the way that he created them and their unique giftings. He promises that those who focus on his kingdom will have all their needs cared for. In Matthew 6, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. His kingdom redeems and restores. It does not imprison and punish. 
In Galatians 6, 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, this is a rule of the kingdom. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. His kingdom is inclusive, and it desires for all to come in. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand this truth. His kingdom will never leave you. It will never leave you lonely. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, God has said, I will never leave you or let you be alone. His kingdom has room for you to be who he created you to be, and he needs that to build the kingdom. Ephesians 4, 7, and verse 12 says, however, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, or the kingdom of God. His kingdom does not need, his kingdom doesn't adjust things in your life to make it better. He makes you a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun, right? You need to start over. You need a fresh start today. You walk into the kingdom where it is a new life. His kingdom is safe. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. His kingdom is full of family. And we're not just loyal subjects or pawns in his kingdom, but we are royalty adopted by the king. Right? We are royal family in this kingdom. When someone says that you have no value or no worth, they're wrong. You are royalty. Right? To the king above all kings, right? Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God had made you his heir. We have free reign in the kingdom of God and free access to everything that God offers because we are his children and heirs to that throne. This is why there is hope that Jesus is on the throne. Right? Hope is not found in government. It's not in our money. It's not in our jobs. It's not in our security, our safety, or certain policies. It's not in gun owning. It's not in American freedom. It's found only in Jesus. And only when we embrace him as our king and enter the kingdom of God where Jesus is on the throne. So how do you become part of this kingdom? To enter this kingdom involves believing, repenting, and obeying. You cannot enter if you do not believe it exists, right? I mean, that's a general rule about life. Uh, Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It takes faith. And all of the evidence is there. At the basics, these people that saw Jesus rise from the dead believed it so much that they gave their lives for this truth. Right? People don't give their lives for things they don't believe is true. And people are still giving their lives for this truth today. Take a step of faith today. Believe in Jesus and step into his kingdom. Secondly, when Jesus preached of the kingdom, he said, repent, for the kingdom is near. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is at hand. But you have to repent to enter. Now, repentance means you need to change your direction. Which is really cool because when Jesus talks about sin, when the Bible talks about sin, that word sin was actually a word that meant you missed the mark. 
So if you were really bad at archery, you sinned a lot because you missed the mark, right? And this is the basic understanding of sin is that God has a path for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a place for you. And when you're living outside of the things that he wants you to do, you're missing the mark. And so you need to repent because you need to change direction and get back on the path that he has for you into kingdom. Turn away from the things that are not from God and turn towards the things that are. But you probably know that you've been missing the mark in your life because everything you've been searching after still leaves you feeling empty. Right? Because I, I know that. That's how I feel. That's how I know I need to change direction again and get back on the path he has for me when I start searching things that, that come up leaving me empty because I was chasing the wrong kingdom. Now, repentance is a process, right? God does not expect perfection from day one. He doesn't expect it at day 1,000 either because he knows that we're humans. He created us. He knows you. He knows your struggle, and he wants to give you the strength to overcome it when you come into his kingdom, but he also understands we'll slip up, and that's why he offers unlimited grace. Today is a matter of choosing to try your best to run and turn towards God things, kingdom things. And lastly, Jesus talks that to be a part of the kingdom, we have to obey the rules of the kingdom, right? You can't participate in a kingdom where you don't follow the rules. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, now everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. To enter the kingdom, you have to obey. You have to make Jesus Lord of your life. You have to offer him the throne of your heart and the throne of your life. And if he's on the throne, you have to listen. The good news is that the kingdom rules are simple, right? Jesus reiterates multiple times through the Bible that every command, everything that is asked of us in the Bible is summed up in two things, loving God and loving others as yourself. To be part of the kingdom, you have to learn to love, and Jesus empowers us to love like he loved. John, in the book of 1 John, um, chapter 5, he says, the best thing about it is Jesus' commands are not burdensome. You want to know why? Because loving God actually means loving others. So really, it's as simple as one rule, love others. In Acts 1, after the disciples asked, when are you going to take over the government, Jesus? Aren't you coming back? And all that, all that question and stuff. Jesus replied to them in verse 7 and 8. This is how he replied to him. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think something that we've missed here that Jesus says, because he's answering their question, he goes, there's no exact day, because the power is in your hand. I've given you the ability to release the kingdom into the earth. You will receive power to be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. We are in charge of spreading this new kingdom around the earth. Jesus is already on the throne. He's not coming back. He already has given us the Holy Spirit to spread the kingdom right now. The Holy Spirit is Jesus coming back to rule the earth in his new kingdom that already exists here through us. And while Jesus is the hope of the earth for all mankind, because it's only through him and through his death and resurrection that we are saved. And only those who come into his kingdom understand that because they put their faith in that. But also understand that you are the hope of the earth. All these things that, that we see that we go, man, the world is a mess. All of this inequality, all of this 
you know, poverty and, and malnourishment and things around the world, they're your problems. They're my problems. They're our problems. We, we have the answer. We have the solution of bringing the kingdom of God to those places. Now, you might be called to become a missionary to some other country or something awesome like that. But the reality is Jesus has just asked us to invite the kingdom into our everyday life. To bring that perfect kingdom of God into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your home, into your family, to your friends, to your enemies, to everybody. And you're not alone in doing this. Jesus said the Holy Spirit has come to give you power to do it. The solution that we're looking for in in life, this new kingdom we want is in us. And we already have it to spread it out once you've stepped into the kingdom. It's found in the perfect kingdom of God, ruled by a king who loves you so much that he died to make sure you could be a part of his kingdom. And now we are called to spread that message. If everyone could just close their eyes for a moment. Imagine with me for a second that, that you went to your doctor's office. You were just there for a regular checkup. You know, and as they're going along, everything is checking out fine, and, and the doctor sits down, and he's like, you know, everything looks real good except for one thing. Your heart's not quite in the right condition. It's, it's not beating right. It's not, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And here's the deal. There's a way to fix this. But you're going to have to stop your heart for just a moment. And then we're going to jolt it back to life to get it beating back where it needs to be. There's a good chance everything will go fine, but there's always a chance it won't work. What would you say to the doctor? Would you do it? Would you risk dying to get your life back in line? Would you risk everything to make sure that you could truly live? I mean, this seems like such an easy answer. Well, yes, of course, I I want to, to live the best that I can. And see, this is the kind of reset Jesus is asking of you to enter his kingdom. Sure, it sounds like the cost might be a bit much, right, to believe in something that you can't physically see, that I wish there was a, a, a physical fix to things, some new ruler, some new king that we could actually physically see. And this belief is going to cause you to, to change some things in your life. You might have to change direction and get back on, on not missing the mark. It's going to lead to the death of your old self because the promise is that he's going to make you a new creation, a new person on the other side. Mm-hmm. But you'll be in a perfect kingdom led by a perfect king. If this message is stirring something in your heart, you know, maybe it's just because you've been overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world. Maybe it's stuff happening in your life right now. And maybe you're just try- tired of trying to fix everything by yourself. Maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you're losing hope. Well, this invitation into God's kingdom, to choosing Jesus to be the king of your heart, of your life, is all that you need. And it starts today with just saying, yes, I believe, and I want Jesus to be the king on the throne of my life. And if you want to make that decision today, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Maybe some of you, you've like, I've, I've believed in this kingdom for a long time. But maybe you changed direction at one point and you realize today I need to make some adjustments. I need to get my, my aim back into alignment with the kingdom of God. And you're ready to do that today. Would you raise your hand too? Thank you. As I pray in just a moment, 
I want you to invite Jesus in your own words to take the throne of your heart, the throne of your life, just basic prayers of, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I need some hope. I'm ready to enter your kingdom. I'm giving it all over to you. That's, that's it. So pray that in your own words as I pray. God, I'm so grateful for this kingdom that we can put our hope in, this kingdom that is perfect, these, these rules, this life that, that still exists on this earth where everything is fine, where you, we can experience true freedom, where we can find healing, where we can find freedom and, and a life that is abundant. Jesus, that's your promise to us in, in John 10, 10, that you have come to give us life and life abundantly, a life that is purposeful, a life that is meaningful. God, and I pray that, that you would give us the courage to step into that kingdom today. God, we're sorry. We repent. We change our ways of everything that we've done in the past, and we're going to try and change to hit the mark, to get in line with your kingdom today. God, I pray that you would help me that you would help all of us to live within your kingdom, that we would wake up every day and invite your kingdom in, and that we would see your kingdom move, that we would see people being set free from their addictions, we would see people being set free from uh, you know, depression and mental illness, that we would see people healed, God, and restored to life, Lord. Because your kingdom has gotten involved in our lives. God, I pray that you would restore hope in all of us here, and then that as we take this message out, God, to the world, that, that they would experience the hope that can be found in you as well. In your name we pray. Amen. If you made that decision for the first time today, or maybe the first time in a while, you need to tell someone. Right? As Romans 10, 9, it says, you need to confess. Believe and confess it to someone, and then you will be saved. And the main reason for this is because when you speak something, it becomes a lot more real than when you did it in your mind or in your heart. When it comes out of your mouth, it makes it real in your life. And if you made that decision today, um, there's connect cards under your seat that Noah talked about. There's a checkbox on there that says, I made a decision for Christ today. And if you fill that out and check that box, we'll have somebody reach out to you and pray with you this week. And if you're online with us, you can do the same thing with our connect with us link. Um, there's a checkbox there for you as well, and we'll reach out to you. Before you guys leave, remember... You with Jesus alongside you are the hope of the world. Jesus believes in you so much that he left spreading his kingdom and his hope into the world in your hands, in our hands. And of course, you can do it because he promised to come alongside us, to empower us, and to do the work that he's called us to. So go and love and spread the kingdom for Jesus today. I'm so proud of you guys for not moving because I have one last announcement for you. Right? First off... Man, God is good. That I just, so good. Right? I, man, I'm just overwhelmed waking up today. Before it got all gray outside, I looked down the road and the sun was rising. And, you know, and today's the day we celebrate the sun rising, right? And, but, yeah, whew, you know, puns, I'm still working on my food. But, um, but, man, walk in that hope today that, that this king knows how to raise people back to life. Like when you felt depleted and stuff throughout these last two years and felt like all of the life has been sucked out of you, Jesus gives new life. Walk out of here today knowing you have new life, okay? And also, as you walk out of here, go downstairs and get your kids, all right? And as you walk outside, grab a bag for all of your kids to get their Easter eggs. 
And if they are in first grade or under, you will take them to the front of the church, and they will do their Easter egg hunt out there. If they are in second grade to fifth grade, take them to the back of the church, and they'll do their Easter egg hunt back there. All right? Happy Easter. Love you guys. Have a good time.